Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. If you want to go ahead and turn, if you have your pew Bibles in front of you, that's on page 819. Uh, For those who came in a little later this morning, I'll remind you that I am Dave Strunk. I am the church planting resident here at Cedar Springs and also pastoring folks in their 30s while I'm here, hoping to plant a church in Maryville and excited to be with you this morning. And um, I'm excited that you're here. It's what a great um, surprise it is to see so many folks on January 1st, especially many of you that may have stayed up to ring in the new year. Um, Or maybe you're not a regular at church and you lost a bet. I'm happy that you're here also. (laughs) However, however you got here this morning, maybe you got a decent night's sleep, in which case I respect you. Um, Our reading again this morning is from Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. Hear now God's word. He put another parable before them, saying, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The Gospel of Christ. A new year affords us an opportunity to look back on the previous year. That's incidentally what the song we sing on New Year's Eve means. Auld Lang Syne means let's look back on the old times. Let's not necessarily look ahead. Let's look backwards. And as I was praying about uh, this this morning, um, what I would preach on in a new year, this passage came to mind. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. As I was reflecting on the old year, I saw a billboard done by Spotify. Spotify is an online music streaming company, and they had a whole billboard campaign in December, and one stuck out to me which said this, thanks 2016, it's been weird. (laughs) That seemed to encapsulate a lot of thoughts I was thinking about. Man, what am I going to say in a new year to the congregation of the Lord's people? And a major theme that stuck out to me from 2016 was this. How do we deal with imperfect people in our lives? How do we deal with imperfect people? On all the things that happened in 2016, one constant theme seemed to emerge in social media, in uh, political news, and other places of discourse, which is how do we deal with imperfect people? And this passage from Matthew 13 came to my mind. And I... into that world of dealing with imperfect people, I want to just insert this passage and say, Jesus, I think, has an answer for us. And I want to look at that in two ways this morning. Um, How Jesus challenges us to deal with imperfect people and how Jesus deals with imperfect people for us. How he challenges us to it and how he deals with imperfect people for us. Let's first look at how Jesus challenges us to deal with imperfect people. Matthew 13 is a long chapter of Jesus' parables, which are metaphorical stories 
about Jesus' kingdom. He's saying, I'm the king of the kingdom, and this is what my kingdom is about. And he uses all these stories to say, this is what my kingdom is about. And so he gives us this story of wheat and weeds, two different kinds of farmers, you might say, scattering weeds. A good farmer sows good seed, and his enemy sows bad seed, which becomes weeds. And that's what this story is about, somehow about the kingdom, somehow about the kingdom. And interestingly, later on, just a few verses later, starting in verse 36, Jesus begins to interpret the parable. He doesn't do that with all of his parables, but he does with this one. And that's beginning in verse 36. And essentially what he does there is just identify the different personae in the original parable from verses 24 to 30. And so what Jesus says is the good seed, the seed of the good farmer, are the sons of the kingdom, and the bad seed that become weeds are the sons of the of the evil one. So seeds are people. That's what we're to get from Jesus' interpretation. But in the interpretation of Jesus' parable, he doesn't really tell us the big point. That actually still happens in the original parable that we just read from verses 24 through 30. And interestingly, the point is not how do we become good seeds or how do, how do we avoid being bad seeds. You'd think that would what the parable would be about, but it's not. You get to verse 27, and the servants begin to ask two age-old questions about the problem of evil. And that's really what the parable is about. They ask, where did these seeds come from? Or where did this evil come from? And how do we get rid of it? The two age-old questions of evil. Where did it come from? And how do we get rid of it? Jesus' answer about where did the enemy come from is very curt, very brief. An enemy did this. Jesus as an enemy, he seems to say. But he doesn't elaborate on that point too much. The point he really elaborates on is the second question. How do we get rid of evil? How do we deal with imperfect people? And that answer begins in verse 29, and I'd like to reread it again. But Jesus said, No, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them, let both grow together until the harvest. Jesus says, How do you deal with imperfect people? How do you deal with these imperfect seeds? Jesus says, do nothing. Do nothing. Let them grow together. Don't do anything. Have patience with the imperfect people in your lives. Have patience with the evil people, you might say. If this parable is about the kingdom, and the beginning of the parable begins in verse 24 saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this man who sows seeds, the thing we're supposed to grasp is that this man, this kingdom of heaven, is patient with evil people, is patient with imperfect people. Jesus says, don't do anything. That's up to me and the harvesters. You're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to do any uprooting at all. You need to be patient with imperfect people. Well, that has allowed me to mull over the imperfect people in my own life and my constant attempts to fix other people. Maybe you're a fixer like me. This came home to me recently as I was trying to construct a farmhouse table at home, and I, I, I was, I've been working on it for months, and to make the story short, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so I was trying to do the perfect sanding job over the top of this farmhouse table with all this reclaimed wood, and I just was frustrated. I quit a few times because I was never getting it perfect. I didn't know what to do, and eventually, in a conversation with one of our retired pastors, Andy Holt over here, I, I realized that this table was some kind of symbol or metaphor for all the ways I was trying to fix other people in my life or fix imperfect situations. 
and I wasn't doing well, and so the one place I could try to exercise control or fix people or fix anything was this table, and I couldn't do it. So eventually I just decided I was done with the table, and I stained it, and I was done, and I'm going to live with the imperfections for decades because this is a table we want to have for a while. I'm just going to live with it. Because too often I try to fix the other people in my life, and I try to do all these things to, to make sure that I can get rid of the imperfect people. I try to, I'm frustrated with people at church, so I just wish I'd never had to talk to them again. Or I wish my, my three-year-old would act like a five-year-old. Or I wish my six-year-old would act like an eight-year-old, and I'm always rushing people on to the next stage of what I think their development should be. And I don't have patience with them. I try to get rid of them in some kind of way. I don't receive them as God has brought them to me. And somehow the table became that grand metaphor in my life. And though I'll talk about our own imperfections in a minute, not just the imperfections of other people, it's interesting to me that Jesus uses this parable, this parable of uprooting, this parable of seeds. Because what I think that means for us is when we try to get rid of the imperfect people in our lives, when we try to purify our group, whatever our group is, whether it's a work group, church, whether it's some social circle, whether it's our Facebook feeds, if we try to purify our feeds, um, I think what happens is the good comes out with the bad. Families that have a black sheep know that it's not just painful to the black sheep, the person who we tried to uproot, it's painful to the whole family. Whenever, whenever we violently try to get rid of the imperfect people in our lives or the evil people in our lives, it affects everybody. It affects the whole group. That's Jesus' point. You've got to have patience because it affects everybody. If you try to get rid of the imperfect people in your life, if you try to get rid of the evil people in your life, it's going to affect everybody. So we've got to have patience. But that patience is not eternal. We're not supposed to have patience with imperfect people forever because Jesus tells us in verse 30 that there is a harvest. There is a harvest. Eventually, there will be a time when Jesus rights all wrongs and deals with all imperfect people, whether by saving them or by allowing the judgment to be meted out. Eventually, there will be a harvest, and Jesus will right every wrong. So it's not just that we're supposed to be patient forever. It's, there's another point here. And Jesus says, evil will be righted, but it's not up to you to do it. Imperfect people will be dealt with, but it's not up to you to do it. It's up to me. And the interpretation that happens later, Jesus says the reapers of the harvest are his angels. So then we're supposed to hold these two things together. One, that we're supposed to be patient with imperfect people, but two, that we're supposed to have confidence that Jesus will actually deal with the evil once for all at the close of the age, as verse 39 says. Patience with other people, but confidence in Jesus to do what he said he would do. Now, this is a very simple point. It's a very simple parable. And yet, think about how unique it is in light of 2016. There are two alternative thoughts or views you might say we encountered in 2016 as it came to the imperfect people in our lives, however we seemed to encounter them. The first view we'll call the, the tolerance view. This view that we just need to be patient with people forever. We just need to try to get along no matter what it takes. We just, we just need to love people. We need to sing kumbaya. We need to sit in a circle and just be tolerant. And this is, in, to some degree, an admirable view. It's a view that says we need to be patient with the imperfect people in our lives because, you know, we're kind of all imperfect, and let's just love each other. 
that shares, that view shares Jesus' view, saying we, we do need to be patient with other people. But ultimately, that view is not a just position because it doesn't have any view towards taking account of evil people, of evil in our lives. It's not ultimately just. It's not saying that evil will ultimately be dealt with. So that view is partially okay, but partially off. That's a view we heard a lot in 2016. Another view we heard, maybe with more frequency or at least uh, more volume, is the view that, you know, imperfect people in our lives, and we need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of them. We need to get rid of them out of our social circles. We need to get rid of their voice in the public square. There are versions of this on the left and the right, the political left and the political right, or the religious left or the religious right. We just need to get rid of the people. We need to make sure they have no voice in society or no voice in our churches or just we need to get rid of them. We need to get them off our Facebook feed. We need to cleanse our Facebook feed. We need to get rid of the evil people in our lives. This view shares the idea that evil really should be dealt with. We should do something about it. We should try to do something for justice, right? That's what Jesus says. Evil should be dealt with. But that view doesn't share with Jesus this idea that we need to have patience with the imperfect people in our lives. So Jesus' view is the third way altogether. It's, it's kind of revolutionary if you think about it. It's simple, but it's revolutionary because too often the way we try to deal with the imperfect people in our lives is either by this tolerant view or this intolerant view, which has versions of both on the left and the right. The third way altogether is having patience with the imperfect people in our lives, but confidence that Jesus will deal with those imperfections in the way that he says he will. Jesus is going to right every wrong at the close of the age. But a big elephant is still in the room. A question you may have been asking yourself, a question that I've been asking myself, which is, well, how do we tell who's an evil seed or not? Who is an evil seed? Who gets to count as a son of the evil one? Who's a weed? And that's where we get to the second point, which is how Jesus deals with the imperfect people in our lives for us. If you notice the development of the story really in verse 26, or you know anything about agriculture or farming, what you'll notice is that the servants didn't know which was a weed and which was a wheat until the heads sprouted, or as uh, uh, the ESV translation says, until they bore grain. A lot of commentators say that this kind of weed would have looked very similar to wheat in that culture, the kind of wheat that's being described here. And so they, nobody would have known which was weed and which was wheat until the heads actually sprouted. So while the seeds were in the ground, nobody even knew there was weeds in the ground. And then when they started coming up, until they had heads on them, whether a wheat head or a weed head, nobody would have been able to tell the difference between a good seed and a bad seed. Couldn't have been telling the difference, which is often the way we try to handle the imperfect people in our lives. We're not very good at diagnosing who's good and who's bad or who really has, who's really an imperfect person and who's not. Because the whole weight of the New Testament, looking at what Jesus says in other places or what Paul says in other places is ultimately this very simple truth that there's no one righteous, there's no one who does good, there is no one who doesn't fall short of God's perfect standard. So all of us somehow share in this imperfection. At the very least, we share in the imperfection by the ways we try to get rid of the other imperfect people in our lives. 
which simply just demonstrates our own complicity in imperfection. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a 20th century Russian philosopher, and he says something very perceptive that is a famous quote that stuck with us today. He knows a little something about um, being somebody who was tried to be purified. He was in a Soviet gulag. He wrote the famous book, The Gulag Archipelago. And he knows what it's like to, for someone else to attempt to purify him. But in his battle against communism, he says this perceptive thing. The dividing line between good and evil cuts straight through the heart of every human being. The dividing line between good and evil cuts straight through the heart of every human being. It's not that there's this good group of people over here that are perfect and there's all these other people over here who are imperfect. It's somehow that all of us are imperfect. It's the farmer who sows the good seed. We don't sow our own good seed. We don't become our own good seed. It's the farmer who sows the good seed and makes his own wheat. If I could take a little license with the parable, in some way that means we're all kind of weeds. We're all kind of imperfect. And so this parable performs a little bit of an emperor with no clothes kind of phenomenon for us. If you're familiar with the, the story of the emperor with no clothes, he was a very vain man. He was a proud king. And these clothes makers come to him and they try to deceive him. And they say, we will make you a garment so beautiful, so fine, that only those who are wise and noble will be able to see it. And so the king says, that's great. And so the clothes makers go through this elaborate ritual to, to pretend like they're dressing the king, and they don't really. And so the king goes strutting around in his pride going, well, no one can see the beautiful clothes I'm wearing, and he's not really wearing any clothes. So he struts about town in his underwear, and all of the people of town are too afraid to say anything because they wonder, well, maybe we don't, maybe we, we aren't wise or noble and we can't really see the beautiful garments he's wearing until a little kid comes who doesn't know anything about what's going on says, the king's not wearing any clothes. And that's this parable for us because in our crazy obsession to deal with the imperfect people in our lives, either by trying to fix them or by trying to get rid of them, we really reveal that we're an imperfect person ourselves. We are without clothes. We are the emperor with no clothes because we are those imperfect people ourselves. And our attempts to deal with imperfect people is just illustrative of our very imperfection itself. And into our own ridiculous self-deception comes a king who is clothless, on a cross. Isaiah says about Jesus that he was a root who grew up, but he was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus was uprooted for us so that we could be made into wheat. Jesus was uprooted for us so that we who don't deserve it could be made into wheat. We who misdiagnose who should be a wheat or a weed, Jesus died for us. We who get it wrong, we who are imperfect people ourselves, Jesus was cut off for us. He was uprooted for us. This judgment that is promised to deal with all evil was also taken for us. And as Colossians 2 says, Jesus doesn't just do it for us. He does it to defeat evil. On the cross, Jesus makes a public spectacle of evil. He makes a public spectacle of Satan by shaming it on the cross. That's in Colossians 2.15. Jesus does that for all of us. He defeats evil for us. He takes our evil for us so that we could be made 
into wheat. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, if you're dealing with imperfect people in your lives, or maybe you are that imperfect person, remember that it's the uprooted king who gives you the power to be patient with those imperfect people in your lives and to be confident that Jesus will deal with evil once for all. Let's pray. Father, it's only your spirit who could make your good news real to us this morning. We confess that too often we uh, see the plank in our brother's or sister's eye and we don't see the log in our own eye. And we pray that we would be fruitful wheat, sons of the kingdom, because of what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has made real for us this day and every day. So I pray for my uh, Christian brothers and sisters in the room this morning that you would help them to discern where it is they're um, struggling with imperfect people this morning, and would you make Jesus' uprooted kingship real for us this morning. And for my brothers and sisters who might not be Christians, would you make this sacrifice real to their hearts this morning? We pray all this in the mighty and faithful name of Jesus who died and lived and rose for us. Amen.